0: Hello, my lovely people, and welcome back to The Fletcher Files, a Murder, She Wrote podcast with your host, Monty. This week, we will be talking about Sing a Song of Murder, season two, episode five, first aired October 27th, 1985. And the IMDb summary reads, Jessica Fletcher rushes off to London to help her cousin Emma McGill a famous theater actress who is the target of several attempts to murder her. First, we have a returner, and that is Christopher Tabori. And we first saw him as Philip Carlson in We're Off to Kill the Wizard. He was in line to become the CEO until Horrible Horatio snatched it right out of his hands. So he killed him, which is terrible, but that's what happened. Anyway, in this episode, he will be playing Ernest Felding, an attorney. So let's go over the cast. We'll have Inspector Roger Crimmins. Then we have Oliver Trumbull, Kitty Trumbull, Violet Weems, Archie Weems, Bridget O'Hara, Danny Briggs. Of course, Ernest Felding, the landlady, <laughs> okay, and of course Emma McGill, and this is another Jessica Fletcher episode. However, what makes this extra special is that Angela Lansbury. Let me get this right, Dame Angela Lansbury. <laughs> Please, both Jessica Fletcher and Emma McGill, and there is actually a scene where you can see both of them sitting on opposite sides of a couch looking directly at, in this case, Ernest Felding, or better yet, the camera, right? So that's exciting. (laughs) All right, let's get into the show. So we start at the Mayhew Music Hall, and on stage is Oliver Trumbull, and he is doing comedy question mark whatever he's doing it's terrible people are yawning one lady is eating a snickers bar <laughs> like it's really intricate <laughs> as she's taking off the wrapper i'm like okay she is clearly bored um it it is bordering on embarrassing but the audience which is not packed by any means but also not empty is very eclectic so just an interesting array of audience members but we'll find out what they're actually there for because it's clearly not oliver so backstage we have archie and kitty Now Kitty Trumbull is Oliver's daughter and she is just like he is embarrassing himself out there like I can't even handle it. Archie who is part owner of the Mayhew and also the master of ceremonies for the show says well Emma won't sell and Kitty is like this you have to do something about this because my father is not going to leave unless Emma sells this so she is concerned about her father and his him being shackled, really, to the theater because of Emma and their relationship. We also find out that Kitty is a teacher who lives elsewhere and visits on the weekend to spend time with her father. Finally, Oliver is done, and he realizes that he did not do great. He's blaming it on the audience. I'm like, uh, yeah, I think any audience would... <laughs> not be happy, but they didn't boo him or anything. So they were at least respectful enough not to do that. So, you know, take what you can take, to be honest. And next up is the reason that they all came. And that was Emma McGill. And she is dressed to the nines in a period piece outfit. And she begins to sing, goodbye, little hummingbird. And I think that's <laughs> I think that's what the song is, but to hear Angela Lansbury sing this is amazing, you know, and Angela Lansbury actually did sing that song in a stage play a number of years ago, well, not from now from <laughs> from when this show aired, but honestly, she still got it because I think she was she singing definitely in the late 2010s, right, she was singing. So this was uh, an amazing opportunity. And although she is Emma here, it was a special treat for all of us. And the audience clearly came to see her because they start to sing along. So they even know the song and it's a much better experience for them than whatever the heck Oliver was doing. So backstage, We meet Violet, who is Archie's wife, and she's like, you gotta get Emma on board. Danny Briggs, his offer is pending. We need to make a decision and come on now. You gotta talk to her because this is outrageous. Apparently, Archie got the theater from his father when his father passed. However, Emma... And the father had whatever deal where she has part ownership. So they cannot sell without her. However, they can sell their portion, but most likely no one is going to purchase half of it knowing that the other partner is not going to be on board with changing the theater into something else. So I can understand why that would be a requirement of the deal that... Both parties, who each have a half, sell it. Now we're back in Emma's dressing room after the show. And Bridget, her assistant, yeah, assistant, is like, you need to retire. Like, honestly, we're both too old for this. (laughs) I'm like, oh my goodness. Archie comes in and... He's also like, Emma, come on. Like, look at that audience. We're not making our money. It's costing us. We're going to lose this place. We need to sell it. And Emma's like, just give us a few more months. And Archie's like, the deal isn't going to be on for a few more months. Like, we have to move on this. And she is sticking to her guns. And he just gives up. The next scene, Emma is coming out to leave. And she meets up with Oliver. They are clearly in a situationship, okay? (laughs) And Emma knows that Kitty doesn't like her. Oliver is like, he's trying to be diplomatic about it, but clearly Kitty does not like Emma. And I think specifically because she knows how much her father loves her and that he is not going to do anything without her. So... If she wants to continue at this theater, he is going to continue to do his terrible comedy act to open up for her show. That That's just it. He has made that decision and his daughter understands that. That's why she's like, Emma needs to sell so that my father can be released from this embarrassment. Now Oliver tells Emma like, honestly, you should retire. I'm I'm gonna retire. Once this place is sold as well, we can get married and get a house and et cetera, et cetera. So Emma's like, "Um, I like our situation. I don't want to be an old married couple mad at each other. So let's just keep it how we keep it, right? (laughs) To the point where Emma's like, I'm actually never gonna marry you, so. you better take this friends with benefits situation and be happy about it. <laughs> like, wow. Okay, well, you know what? They're groomed. She knows what she wants if he's willing to accept it. So be it. If not, sorry, you gotta move on. I understand you love her, but she's not the marrying kind, as they say. So they go outside into the alley behind the theater and Oliver realizes he forgot his hat. So he goes back in. Emma is standing in the alley and this car comes barreling down the alley and Emma has to literally like jump up against the wall in order to not get hit. It was purposely trying to hit her. She fall, then falls to the ground after the car has passed by and then pops back up. I'm like, yes, Angela Lansbury, pop back up, okay? <laughs> she honestly like dusts herself off Oliver runs out having heard this car speeding down the alley. And I think she may have screamed or something. I I don't remember. But she's like, oh, no, I'm fine. Let's go get a drink. (laughs) What? She's like, we don't need to call the police. It's fine. I'm like, she's tough. Okay. Now, I can understand that you're ready for a drink after that, those dramatics. But uh, I'm gonna need you to call the police. Okay, they were trying to murder you. The next day, we are outside Emma's apartment. She is coming down. I'm sorry, we're in England. Emma's flat and she's on the stoop. I guess they call it a stoop there as well. And she gets into her car, drives off. And then we see across the street watching someone's gloved hand It's a man's hand. We can tell that much. And it turns the key of the car that they're in and they go and follow Emma. And I think it's really funny that Emma drives, yet Jessica does not. Okay. (laughs) But I believe in real life, Angela Lansbury does drive. Maybe not now, but (laughs) she definitely knows how to drive. And I believe drives in real life. So the next scene, we are in Cabot Cove and Jessica is furiously cleaning, right? She's probably been working on a book and has not had time to clean her house. So that is what she's doing now, catching up. And she gets a call from Ernest Fielding saying that Emma has died and that Jessica is the executor of her will, so she needs to come to England. So the next scene... We are in England. I don't know which airport this is. They never specify. But Jessica is there. She's outside with her luggage looking for Ernest. And Danny Briggs comes up to her. What accent does he have? That is my question. What? Okay, he is clearly supposed to be an English tough. I'm like, you're really, really biting each of those words. Like you're doing the absolute most are there people who have that accent for real or is this always just put on like did some actor just choose this (laughs) and everyone has just been pretending to have this accent (laughs) that's my question (laughs) we find out here that emma owns half of the mayhew and that danny Briggs has an offer pending and since emma is dead jessica's the next of kin he's gonna need her to sign these papers to sell it to him, no ifs, ands, or buts. I'm like, sir, do not come up to me and say anything. <laughs> what I just got off of, probably an eight plus hour flight. It is nighttime in Cabot Cove. It's daytime here. Okay, although Jessica looked um like alert. Okay, <laughs> I know when I made that trip, I. I looked a mess. I'm not even going to lie. It was rough. But of course, Jessica looks fantastic. And she does what's appropriate. She says, I haven't even spoken to a lawyer yet. So I can't really make a decision about that. What I would have said, however, although she was alone, so I can understand not being this brave, I would have been like, sir, if you don't get out of my face, my cousin is dead. And has not even been put in the ground. And you are asking me about signing some paperwork so you can purchase her theater? Are you crazy? That is rude and disrespectful. And if you do not leave, I'm calling the police. And so that's that. Now, (laughs) that would have to be a very brave person to say that. I'm sure that Jessica Fletcher would never. but (laughs) But Monty would definitely. So Ernest finally comes along and he's like, oh, sorry, I'm late. Uh, Danny, get the heck out. So <laughs> he rescues Jessica and she's like, oh, you know, I'll sit in the front next to you. And Ernest is like, no, I prefer you to sit in the back seat. She's like, that's rude. <laughs> Why would I would like to have a conversation with you. Why would I sit in the back seat? You're not my chauffeur. And he's like, no, I really think you should sit in the back seat. At this time, <laughs> Emma, who is dressed to the nines as well, in all black, which I'm like, okay, interesting, has a full veil on, right? Pulls it back and it's like, Jessica, get in the car. (laughs) She's like, Emma? Yes, it's Emma. She has your face. Of course it's Emma. (laughs) So, So Jessica gets in and they explain Despite the fact that Emma is the dressiest incognito person I've ever seen, we find out a lot of information from her. Basically, they faked her death. Long story short. Now, here's the long story. (laughs) So she said for the past two weeks, things have been happening that makes her think someone is trying to murder her. Two weeks ago, the gas heater in her flat blew up when she returned from church that day. Last Sunday, the rug at the top of her stairs was loose and she almost fell and she would have fallen down the stairs and most likely broken her neck. And then this Saturday, I forget what day of the week this is now, but on Saturday, someone tried to run her over in that alley behind the theater. None of these appear to be coincidences because that's a lot in a two and a half week period for one person to experience. Now, just as an aside, her gas heater exploded. Can we talk about how crazy that is and how the whole building of flats could have gone up and people could have died? There have been at least... One, if not two, incidences in the state where someone, for insurance purposes, not for murder purposes, caused a gas explosion to blow up their house and ended up killing other people because it spread and set other houses on fire. I don't think we should just let this pass by as just simple. Like, someone legitimately was trying to murder you at that point. The police should have been immediately contacted because that what? A gas heater exploded? She didn't say caught fire. She said exploded. Okay. Um, I, they do not give us any details. So I, I'm going to leave it at that. But that was the most concerning of the three. <laughs> not only is your life in danger, but everybody else in your building's life is in danger. If someone's trying to blow up a gas heater. Okay. And I said, I was gonna leave it. I'm gonna leave it. Anyway, so what they did, what Ernest and Emma did was they ran her vehicle over the bridge into the river in Portsmouth, right? So people would think that Emma died. So they could root out the murderer perhaps, or at least stop, (laughs) At least stop the murder attempts uh, so she can catch her breath and do something. But anyway, they wanted to get Jessica over to look into it because she is not only a world famous mystery writer, she's a world known mystery solver. So they did this and had Ernest call Jessica to have her come over to England so that Jessica could investigate. And she's like, yeah, you need to call the police. Like this is, this is not like a stolen manuscript. Okay. This is not plagiarism. This is someone trying to murder you and not even caring if other people are injured or killed in the process. You need to call the police. And so Emma's like, they're going to think I'm crazy. I can't call the police, which is possible. Now, the explosion of the gas heater. I know I said this, but <laughs> I, I was going to leave it. But that, unless there was some other explanation, like a circuit blue or something like that, I think that the police would have taken that very seriously. Now, I agree. The loose rug. They may think you're crazy. The alley incident, I think they may have given credit to it. They may have thought it was a drunk, maybe not someone trying to kill you. But definitely should have reported the first incident from two weeks ago. So just saying. Anyway, Jessica's like, uh, I'll help, but... Not for long before I'm actually going to alert the police because I just, this is way too serious to not include the police. The next scene, we are at a flat that Ernest rented under a false name for Emma. So Emma, Jessica and Ernest are at this apartment and Ernest says that he suspects Archie because if he can get Emma out of the way, then he has a better chance of convincing her next of kin to sell. Also, his wife is a suspect because she has as much stake in this game as Archie does. He also puts up Oliver as a suspect. Emma says, no, can never be Oliver. He loves me, but maybe he is upset about the fact that you won't marry him and he's not satisfied with the relationship. That wouldn't be logical, but people have done domestic murders for less. So, spoiler, it's not Oliver, so yeah. Emma, however, thinks that it is Danny Briggs who is the person who wants to buy the Mayhew and has connections with the criminal element, basically. So no one would put it past him to have set this up. Maybe not done it personally, but had someone do it for him. And Emma further says, well, you know, we did this, we faked my death and we kind of got the word out that you are my next of kin. <laughs> and Jessica's like, so you set me up? To which Emma's like, no, no, I would never do that. I just put you in a position to learn something. Emma, that's a setup, okay? (laughs) I don't think Jessica was necessarily in danger of being murdered also because that, who knows who would have gotten the Mayhew at that point. So I don't think she was putting her cousin in danger in that sense. But you set her up. (laughs) Let's not lie. So the next scene, we're in Scotland Yard and... Jessica is looking for Inspector Henry Kyle. However, he is on holiday. And I don't remember which episode Henry Kyle was in, but I believe he was in a prior episode. I I cannot remember. Was he in Paint Me a Murder? Yes, that's what it was. So Inspector Henry Kyle is the man who was trying to get Jessica to stop over in England on her way back from the island in Paint Me a Murder because he had an eye for Jessica. And she's like, oh, I don't know, I'm on vacation now. But, you know, as long as I'm needed here to take care of Diego's wife, now widow, I- I'm gonna stay here. So I'm sorry, but I'm definitely gonna come to England and see about you. This is when she finally gets to England to see about Inspector Kyle and he's on holiday. Oh, how much does that suck? But that's a win for Inspector Roger Crimmins, right? Because he's like, oh, we got a new boss and he just has me dealing with traffic tickets because he's trying to get me to retire on my own because he can't get rid of me otherwise. So of course I will help you. (laughs) Anyway, so the next scene, we're back at the theater and they're having a memorial for Emma and there's a beautiful painting. And honestly, I really hope that either A, it was already a painting that Angela Lansbury had. If not, I hope she got to keep that because it was beautiful, beautiful. When Jessica walks in with Ernest, Even the piano music or even the organ music stops and everyone is staring and they're shocked. And Jessica's like, hey, I'm Jessica Fletcher, Emma's cousin from America. Nice to meet you guys. (laughs) But it's really traumatizing to everybody there. It's just people need a moment to let that sink in. So she's introduced to everyone. So Archie takes this time, because of course it's appropriate, right? To ask about when they can get back to talks about selling the theater. And Ernest is like, her body is not even recovered. So we can't have her declared dead until we find said body. Like, are you, you're at a memorial service. Archie, you are garbage. Like straight up trash, okay? <laughs> I, I disliked you in general, but you're trash, period. Then Inspector Crimmins walks in and he's like, sorry to intrude, but a body has been recovered this morning and we believe that it's Emma. I need her next of kin to identify her body. That would be Jessica. However, Ernest is like, listen, can I do the identification? You know, this may be too much for her cousin. She just got here and everything. This is very tragic. So Inspector Crimmins, because he's in on this at this point, says, of course, yes, you can do that. Now, this memorial is at the Mayhew. And Jessica then takes this opportunity to go into Emma's dressing room and see what she can see, right? See if there's any clues back there. And Bridget comes in and she's like, yes, so I'm um, sorry about your cousin, but um, I'ma get what's due to me. She made promises to me. I need my stuff. And Jessica's like, uh, excuse me? like, A, who are you? B, I just got here. Okay, I don't know what is what. I'm not... I'm just going to do what Emma would have me to do according to her will and wishes. So like cool your heels, goodness. Bridget was just out of this world rude because this woman is grieving the loss of her cousin and all you can think about, now you worked for this woman for over 30 years, Emma that is, Emma. Bridget worked for Emma for over 30 years. And she is dead. Like, you. her cousin is grieving her loss. What are you doing? Like, I understand people grieve differently. I understand that. But you come in guns blazing, like, I want my stuff. How disrespectful is that? Uh, extremely disrespectful. And I would be like, um, ma'am, you're getting nothing. I don't care if you were there when she was born, Okay, you're not going to come up to me the day I get there talking some nonsense about you want to get your stuff. She is not even in the ground yet. They literally just recovered her body out of the water. And you're asking about her stuff? Like, clearly you did not care about her. You're a terrible person. How dare you? So, (laughs) Oh my goodness. She is is terrible. Terrible. Anyway, we do find out some information from Bridget and her mean self. We find out that two weeks ago when the first attempt happened was right after Danny Briggs made his offer to purchase the Mayhew. We also find out that Archie's wife Violet is more likely to be the one who was trying to kill Emma as opposed to Archie himself. Archie is trash but his wife is the one who has the guts (laughs) to actually murder someone and is probably mean enough to murder someone. (laughs) And this was the quote that Bridget used as to Violet, Archie's wife. She makes Lady Macbeth look like a flower girl. Okay. That, that's a description for you. Anyway, so the next scene we're backstage and it's Oliver and Kitty. And we find out that Oliver is auditioning for a role outside of the theater. And we find out from Oliver that he's been with Emma for 15 years. And, you know, so this is difficult for him it's becoming real. Her body has been recovered. There's no chance that she's actually alive that he knows, right? So he's trying to process this, but he's trying to be brave and, and move forward. And now that the theater is probably going to be sold, he needs to get right back on the horse and audition so he can get a job. So Kitty is ready to go along with him to the audition and Oliver's like, "Yeah, so let's uh meet up later because I don't want to be there with my daughter. Like I need a keeper. I can do this myself. I've been doing this for 30 40 years on my own." So <laughs> she's like, "Okay. Okay. I'm going to go to the travel agent and put together a trip to Brighton next weekend." So Oliver gets in the taxi and Kitty walks on down the street to go to the travel agent. The next scene, we're in a restaurant with Inspector Crimmins and Jessica. And Jessica wants to take a look at Emma's flat to see if there's any evidence of the previous murder attempts and or evidence that there was going to be a subsequent murder attempt if she hadn't died accidentally by driving off of a bridge. So Inspector Crimins agrees. They go over, and it's evening at this point, it's evening. They go to a street across from Emma's flat, the building her flat is in, about the same place where that gloved hand person in the car, which of course was Ernest, you know, because we know that the driving off of the bridge was a setup by Emma and Ernest. So Ernest was the gloved hand in the vehicle that we saw earlier. As Jessica and Inspector Crimmins are sitting in Inspector Crimmins' vehicle, getting ready to get out and and see what's what, a woman is seen coming out of Emma's building in Emma's leopard print coat and her hair tied up. So you can't see what color it is. Plus it's evening time and dark out at this point, except for street light. And this car comes flying around the corner and hits her and just drives off. And that is very disturbing. Just period, that, that is very disturbing. Jessica and Inspector Crimmins get out of the car, run over, and they turn the woman over and it's not Emma, it is Bridget who was wearing Emma's coat. And side note, uh, it was a yellow sports car. I'm like, can you identify yourself anymore unless it's a rental? But then still, if it's a rental, they'll easily know like how many rental companies in England, London specifically, have yellow sports cars. So either it's your personal vehicle and they can identify you or you rented it. And they can identify you or you borrowed it. And the person you borrowed it from is like, I didn't murder anybody. I loaned it to XYZ, who is clearly the murderer. That wasn't too smart. However, it was not the same vehicle that tried to run her over in the alley, which I find interesting. But it's the same person, spoiler, same person. So the next scene, we're at Scotland Yard and Jessica's there, Archie comes out of some door and he's like, yeah, I heard Emma's alive. I heard it from, who did he say? Did he say he heard it from the inspector? Something. And Jessica confirms it. I would have been like, I don't know what you're talking about. But I don't know. It sounds like in the next scene, you'll understand what I mean when I say, it sounds like he's he was bluffing to see if she was in fact alive. But I don't know what would have given him that idea. Yeah, I don't know. I guess he figured if someone was still attempting to kill Emma, then they must know that she's alive. So she must be alive. And I think that's why he said that like, oh, such and such told me already that, you know, it was uh, that they faked her death, that she's actually alive. Anyway, so we find out from Archie that Bridget was in Emma's coat because Emma had promised it to her. And I guess she didn't want to wait for everything to be sorted out because there was of course a chance that Emma didn't write that down and therefore it would not actually then go to Bridget. So I'm sure after working for Emma for 30 years, she had a key to her flat and that's how she was able to go in and get the coat and She had her hair tied up, I'm guessing, because it was windy or whatnot. My question is, what did she do with the coat that she wore there? And two, she did not even look to see if somebody was coming. (laughs) She just walked out into the street. That person was going to kill her regardless because they thought it was Emma. They were going to kill that person regardless. But I'm going to need you to really take a good look on right and left and keep an ear out because we all heard the car coming, but it wasn't even like Bridget froze. She <laughs> just ignored it. So yeah, not blaming the victim in here, but for those of us who are just out and about these days, take a good look both ways and keep an ear out. So then Inspector Crimmins comes out a different door Emma is too scared to leave the hidden flat. So they have to go to her instead of her coming down to the police department. So now the next scene, we're at the hidden apartment and Jessica is like, well, the person who killed Bridget had to know that Emma was alive and I didn't say anything to anybody. And so how did they find out? I think Ernest was there and he's like, yeah, no, I didn't say anything to anybody. So they, of course, look to Emma and she's like, yeah, well, um, I heard that Oliver was just really broken up about hearing that I died. So I, I just I just wanted to call and tell him that I was okay. I didn't tell him where I was staying. So they're like, okay. So now Oliver is back on the top of the list. And Inspector Crimmins determines at this point that there will be 24-hour surveillance outside of this hidden flat. Emma puts up some resistance, but I'm like, dude, no. You're lucky he didn't say that there's gonna be 24-hour surveillance in this flat, okay? <laughs> because as Siri says this is, and now someone is dead, um, yeah, you need police protection. So the next scene, we're at the theater, and Violet and Briggs are waiting for Archie. And Briggs is just like, I really need this to go through, you know. And Violet's like, well, they think that this cousin's gonna be easier to convince. Like, don't worry, it's gonna go through. It'll be fine. Archie comes in, he's like, it's not gonna work. Emma's alive. And so they're like, I'm like, Archie. I, he was trash, so why am I surprised? Why am I surprised that he would have bluffed to get confirmation of what he was thinking that Emma had to be alive if this murder attempt was made again after she her body was allegedly recovered? And Archie then looks to Briggs like, listen, I'm not down with murder, okay? So like, I, I was on board with selling and you know, trying to convince her to sell, but I'm not down with murder. And Briggs is like, I did not murder her. Now I do work with some very shady people, but we did not murder her. So there is that, (laughs) okay? I'm sure they both are confident in the fact that the other one didn't murder her. So the next scene, we are at Oliver Trumbull's flat and it's Jessica and Inspector Crimmins who are led in by the landlady who's talking some mess, like whatever, I wasn't paying attention. I was focused on the fact that he has some amazing black and white pictures of himself in different roles that the real actor was in. You could tell it wasn't like a cut and paste of his face (laughs) like they do sometimes. And I love when they do that. I love when they have photos of veteran actors that they just place just they just place around a scene at their home or office or something. I really like when they do that in this show. So we find out that Oliver has a voicemail and they listen to the tape and we hear two messages. One is from Emma saying she's okay. Now prior to the Emma voicemail. There's a voicemail from the director that he was going to audition for saying that they were mostly cast but he would take a look at him if he came to the Cumberland Hotel at 9 p.m. The next scene we're at Oliver's audition and Kitty is there in the audience. Jessica slips in as well and Oliver is Doing something, <laughs> he's doing a monologue, but he he's really into it. Like it's probably appropriate for the original play, but it seems that the director is not going to have this play go that way. <laughs> you know what I mean, I think he has a different demographic that he is catering to. And honestly, he was not prepared to really look at someone of Oliver's caliber. So he does not allow him to finish. He's like, okay, thank you, thank you, thank you. Goodbye. And Oliver feels disrespected, which I'm like, on the one hand, yes, I understand you want to finish. On the other hand, I'm sure this is not the first time that a director was like, I'm good. You know? Thank you, yay, nay, maybe next time or never come back. But this can't be the first time. I don't know if it's because his daughter was there or if he just felt that he was so accomplished that this should be a given that he should get the role, which he was probably right. But I think that it wasn't going in the direction of a Shakespearean play, okay? (laughs) More like a remix version of that so he goes off on the director in the most theatrical way because i'm sure it was a it was definitely a monologue from something i don't know where the monologue was from but it was definitely from something right (laughs) and oliver then grabs his coat and leaves after he has told the director about himself literally and Literarily, <laughs> and so he sees that Jessica's there. He's like, oh, I'm sorry that you had to see me that way. And Jessica's like, No, that director is a fool. So, they're mm, okay, listen. Honestly, that was Angela Lansbury's theater lady coming out, like that's what it was. The theatrical actress in her popped out with that sentence. <laughs> She was like, this idiot, what he did was amazing. He wasn't, this director wasn't putting on that type of quality. Like that, that's just it. But we know Angela understood. Jessica was just being polite. (laughs) So Jessica does reveal to Oliver and Kitty that Emma is alive. Oliver is surprised and it's not fake. He is surprised. And he further says like, I never heard that message from Emma. I had no idea, I never heard it. And Jessica's like, well, how did you know to meet the director at the hotel? And he's like, well, I just went straight from the theater to I guess where the audition was supposed to be held. And when he didn't show up, I went to the hotel because I knew he was staying at the hotel. And just waited in the lobby, had some drinks, and then Kitty called me at some point. I spoke with her and I kind of just, next thing I know, I woke up in a hotel room in that hotel. At this point, Inspector Crimmins comes in and arrests Oliver and is like, yeah, no, I don't believe that. We spoke with the hotel manager And they said that Kitty had called at 9 p.m., not 8 p.m. because the murder was at 8 p.m. So there was plenty of time for him to have murdered Bridget and then made it to that hotel for 9 p.m. when his daughter called. Oliver then reveals that he overheard a secretary making a reservation for dinner at that hotel and that's why he figured if I go to the lobby I can wait and he he has to come down there at some point so I'll definitely get to see him and you know basically harass him (laughs) for an audition. Next scene we are outside of the hidden flat there is a police car there unmarked of course with a plainclothes officer inside. There's a car accident and the men just jump out of their cars, one of which is Archie, okay, whose vehicle was mm rear-ended by some random. And the surveillance officer sees this, gets out of his car, and goes to try to deal with the situation. While that officer is distracted, Briggs goes into the building and knocks on Emma's door and she's like who is it and he's like oh it's inspector such and such and he's like oh okay she opens the door he pushes his way in and he's like you're gonna sign this whether you want to or not because I have to deal with some really shady people and you know I'm gonna make you sign it or I'm gonna kill you and have your cousin sign it so at this point Jessica and inspector Crimmins arrive And Jessica is looking down the street at what happened and Inspector Crimmins is talking to the officer or detective who was driving his car. And Jessica makes eye contact with Archie and he looks up towards the building where the flat is and up to the window, which is a complete signal because he's trying to see is there, can you see anything? And that clues Jessica in. She taps Inspector Crimmins and they go into the flat. So Jessica gets up the stairs before Inspector Crimmins. I'm like, who entered the building first? (laughs) And she was a good like 30 seconds in front of him too. Anyway, so Inspector Crimmins uh, announces himself. They break down the door. While they're trying to do that, Briggs then tries to run out and get out the window. Emma then picks up a vase and bashes him on the head with it. And I'm like, yes, Emma, protect yourself. (laughs) I was like, that don't look like the first time you've done that. But it knocks Briggs out for a bit. Like he's not like completely unconscious, because honestly, but enough to daze him so the police can come in and arrest him. And this gives Jessica an epiphany. I don't remember what triggers it, honestly. <laughs> so the next scene, we're at the theater and Jessica and Oliver are talking. Oliver is just like, oh my goodness, thank you for getting me out. And she's like, it wasn't me, it was Inspector Primmons, you know. And we find out that he has been. Performing at the Mayhew for 17 years. So he's been with Emma for 15. He's been performing on this stage for 17 years. Kitty then comes in and, you know, remember I said, what accent does Danny Briggs have? What accent does Kitty have? Because it's not the same accent as her father. I, where did she get this from? <laughs> anyway, so... Jessica's like, yeah, so the murderer had to be, the murderer was not Danny Briggs. You know, he, he was just harassing her, okay? He was not trying to murder her. None of these attempted murder stunts were him. The person who murdered Bridget, thinking that she was Emma, had a personal reason to hate Emma, Jessica also notes that the attempts were on consecutive weekends. Like the person doing it was not there during the week. She then asked Kitty, "How did you know where to find your father?" And so she's like, "Um, yeah, uh, it, what? Huh? Yeah, uh, uh yeah, what? <laughs> there is no way that she would have known that her father was at the Cumberland Hotel." unless she heard that voicemail from the director, which means that she heard the voicemail from Emma and knew that she was alive and then went to Emma's flat, saw who she believed to be Emma because the person was wearing her coat, similar height. Well, I don't know if you could really tell height from there, but could not see the hair color. So the coat coming out of Emma's flat was enough for her to speed up and and kill this person. Kitty at this point is like, okay, I did it. Okay, (laughs) like I didn't mean to kill Bridget or whatnot, but I was trying to kill Emma because that was the only way that my father would be released from her. Kitty believed that Oliver, by working at the Mayhew, was prostituting his gifts to become a second rate comic. Now, he was not even a second-rate comic, okay? Sorry to tell you that, Kitty. But I understand to a point that you can't make people do what you want them to do. You may believe that their actions are destructive. Sometimes their actions are, in fact, destructive. But there is only so much you can do. And the fact that you thought that murdering somebody so that your father could live the life that you thought he should live is outrageous, okay? We all want our parents to be happy. Those of us who had happy childhoods want our parents to be happy. And I understand, but for him, this was happy for him. And the fact that instead of coming to terms with that and supporting him and, you know, encouraging him to branch out and if he didn't, always knowing that you were there and you loved him and you were there for him, instead of doing that, you thought, I am going to murder this woman because of course, once she's gone, he's not going to go into a depression And God knows what he may do in that depressive state. You really didn't think this through. And for someone who is a teacher and living on her own and has her own life, it seems like maybe her father was her entire life, like taking care of him. I don't know if they said when her mother passed, if her mother passed, I don't know if she left the family or if she died, but you seem to have focused on taking care of your father and he did not need to be taken care of. He had a a beautiful apartment that he apparently was on time with the rent. So, hey, he was with a woman he dearly loved and he was on stage, which was enough for him. Now, maybe he wasn't happy with the audience that he was getting, maybe even the type of comic or the the genre that he was working in there. But honestly, with his relationship with Emma, I think he could have changed the type of show that he did. He could have turned it into whatever, I feel. Like, I don't think he was necessarily locked into that comedy thing because nobody was coming to see it. I can understand if he hated doing that, but that's what was bringing the audience in. So he was locked to doing this comedy act that he wasn't a hundred percent with, but it wasn't. I think he probably could have changed it up and did something different and pulled from his long theater career to do something fresh and new. Well, as compared to this horrible comedy, I I don't necessarily mean like he was going to do a monologue from Rent Actually, Rent didn't exist at that time, (laughs) I don't think. Um, Doing a monologue from some popular play at the time. But he could have done Shakespearean monologues or things like that uh, that were different. But he chose to do this. And it was what made him happy. And just because you did not think that this was the life that he should be living, you were willing to murder somebody? That's a lot. That's that's not only a lot, that's too much, okay, ma'am? I'm sad that you're going to prison, but that's where you need to be because you really did not think this through. And I can't say you were being selfish because you were thinking of a better life for your father, but you did not think this all the way through about what the alternative could have been if you in fact murdered her and he's living with the fact that the perhaps second love of his life, I'm gonna give give you credit that your mother was the first love of his life, that the person he thought he was going to spend the rest of his days with has been snatched from him. That everything was just gonna be okay. He was gonna go back to auditioning and everything. I think the only reason he was willing to at that time go ahead and audition for that role that ended, up make, that ended up going left, okay? I think the only reason he agreed to do that audition was to keep himself distracted. But at some point, he wasn't gonna get auditions. And at some point, he wasn't gonna book auditions. At some point, he wasn't going to book shows. And in those quiet moments, you're not gonna be the one who saved him. He, it's just going to be him and his thoughts of Emma and that loss. So, yeah, you're a terrible, terrible person. And I can't just couch it on, oh, you were thinking of your father because in the end, you really weren't. You were pushing your ideals and your idea on him and not really sitting down to find out what he wanted, I promise you he would rather stay in this friends with benefits situation with Emma for the rest of his days than to have lost her. Period. So anyway, <laughs> after we've gone deep about this, that's that on that. Um I really like this episode because three things. One, Angela Lansbury in a dual role. Two, Angela Lansbury singing. Three, Angela Lansbury in a dual role where one of the roles she's singing, period. Okay. (laughs) So next week we will be talking about reflection of the mind and yeah, we'll get to it when we get to it. (laughs) (laughs) So yes, I will see you next week on Sunday at 5 p.m. anywhere you listen to podcasts unless you want early access and additional content and you can find that on, say it with me, the Fletcher Files Pod on Patreon. (laughs) That's right. The link is in the description box. I finally remember to do that now. Anyway, until then, have an amazing week. Bye.